Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. I want you to imagine a faculty meeting where you, the principal, you're presenting. The problem is no one's listening and it's your fault. You spent hours crafting a very detailed and logically sound presentation. You included all the data that you could find to prove your point. But when you look into the audience, crickets. Some staff members are asleep, drooling. 90% are on their phones, distracted. What went wrong? Now imagine the same presentation. You're still the principal sharing information and all the same players in the audience. Except this time, 99% of the audience is in sync with your talk. There's always that 1%. You see smiles. The eyes are on you. There's nodding heads. In one word, what you see and feel is engagement. The presentation was the same, but it was shared differently. Why were the identical people in the audience behaving in drastically different ways? How was it your fault? In one presentation, you told stories. In the other, you did not. It really is that easy. And in today's conversation with Dr. Jared Cooney Horvath, we jump right into the idea of how important stories are to effective communication. I've read Jared's book too, Stop Talking, Start Listening, 12 Insights from Brain Science to Make Your Messages Stick. Really enjoyed it. Very interesting on storytelling, effective communication, and the brain. You can check it out on Amazon, link in the show notes. So Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we get into this conversation, I'd like to take some time to thank our show sponsors. Isolation is the number one enemy of excellence, and isolation is also a choice. There's a better way. In fact, here's what Michelle, a school leader in Maryland, has to say about the mastermind. The best part of the mastermind is a supportive community. School leadership can be isolating, but knowing I have a team of other school leaders with whom to share ideas, struggles, and wins gives me the courage and resolve to do what's best for my school community. Get connected and level up your leadership by applying to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. The Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Using artificial intelligence, the TeachFX app enables instructional leaders to coach more teachers more often and more effectively. Learn how and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Jared Cooney Horvath is a cognitive neuroscientist with expertise in human learning, memory, and brain stimulation. He earned his master's degree from Harvard University and his doctorate from the University of Melbourne. In 2018, 
Dr. Horvath co-founded LME Global to bring his pioneering brain and behavioral research to teachers, organizations, and professionals looking to boost their performance and gain a competitive edge. To inquire about booking Dr. Horvath for a speaking engagement or to view his online courses and training materials, visit www.lmeglobal.net. But you know, you don't have to memorize that. You can just click the podcast show notes link and we'll get you all hooked up. Jared, welcome to the show. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad we finally get a chance to do this. We've been going back and forth for a while. Back and forth. You're in Australia. Family passed away. Then, then I think you were in China. And who knows, yeah. in those times, you know, I, I probably wasn't even awake and we were trying to record it at like two in the morning or something. So oh, that one was miserable. I remember we, we gave it a go and I was just totally out of it at that point. So <laughs> glad we kept pushing it. Now we finally found the right time. We found the right time in Ruckus Makers. I'll tell you, we've already been talking for uh, seven, eight minutes. And it's been really, I, I like Jared and I, I've just getting to know him. Uh, so he's bringing the energy today and uh, he's ready to serve you. So uh, it's going to be a great show. Speaking of ruckus makers, that's what I lovingly call my listeners, and they make change happen, Jared. One way the leaders of this show and listeners make change is through effective communication. That's what your book's all about. Stop talking, start listening. 12 insights from brain science to make your messages stick. And I talk about sticky core values, but this isn't about me. It's about you. So tell us a story about stories and why they help us make change happen. Stories. One of my favorite. That's got to be one of the most important, one of the most fun topics in the world. So stories. My, where I kind of always come in on this. So as a brain scientist, I always try and find that neuro angle. So there was a, a research study done, God, about forty years ago, where people just sat down and they watched a bunch of shapes kind of moving around a screen. So silent film, a triangle, a circle, a square. They're all just kind of moving around. Afterwards, about a minute later, the researcher stops and says, okay, what did you just watch? And of course, hundreds of people, not a single person said, I just watched shapes moving around a screen. All of them found something in it. So some people said, I saw a a husband and a wife with their kid in the park. And somebody said, I saw a bunch of a robber come into a house and steal something. Ah, point is, with absolutely nothing, everyone developed a story, this kind of cause and effect with these, these emotional valences. These shapes took on personas. Those personas did things for a reason. And from this, we learned the very basic patterning in the brain is narrative. There is no such thing as a standalone fact in the brain. Almost immediately, everything gets tied into a narrative, gets tied to something else, assumes an emotional trigger, and this is the way humans think. So now you circle back and go, cool, if the natural thinking pattern is in story, is in narrative, cause and effect, emotional valence, then why can't I just build that into everything I do? And you start to realize the more narrative, the more story you build into your teaching, to your leading, what happens is that's the rails already laid down in people's brains so they naturally remember more. They naturally glom on better and you get better results from that. So stories are how we think. The more you use stories, the easier you make it for people to come on board and follow along with you. And so that, that experiment or that research study was just blobs, right? Colorful blobs. And people attached the narrative of what was going on, which was different for every person, right? Boom. So you start to see, cool, our natural inclination is narrative, mm. but everyone will do it in their own way. If you don't give them the right impetus, 
you'll get 50 different people telling 50 different stories, which might be sometimes exactly what you want as a leader. If your goal is, say, creativity or personal expression, then you want to leave it open-ended enough that, yep, make your own story. But a lot of the times we want everyone on a similar page. We have our school story. We have our story about what it means to be an effective teacher, in which case, can we find the right narratives to tie all that information together to make it meaningful for people? So now we're all on a page and it's the same page across the board. So something I'm I'm thinking about, I want to back it up a bit because I think understand the impetus you said and, and the reason maybe why some people want to hear a story a certain way or the way to deliver it. So we're all on the same point. That's a savvier sort of topic. And I hope maybe we'll get to that, but I want to talk to the ruckus maker right now that just had, you know, the light bulb moment. They said, dang, I just present a lot of facts and figures, uh, a lot of logic. Yep, yep. And I'm not tapping into the emotions. I'm not telling stories or even for the person who thinks they're doing it, you know, yeah. do you have some helpful tips on how to start or how to improve their storytelling? Yeah. It's, so you've kind of got what we say are kind of two key stories that you need to worry about, especially during, say, presenting and leadership. One is what you'll call the through line story. So this is if you distilled, let's say you have an hour long talk, right? If you could distill that down to one single sentence, what's the only point you wish people walk away from? If they all leave with one thing, what was it? Then you find a way to weave that through absolutely everything you talk about after that. So for instance, let's say I'm giving a presentation on, let's say the neuroscience of storytelling. What I might do is I might have four or five key kind of chunks throughout. So the aspects of an effective story, emotions and story, synchrony. But what I've done is throughout every single one of those modules, I'll somehow tie it back to this one concept of ergo stories are the best way to connect with an audience. I'll keep finding a way to circle back. So that way at the end of it, when all is said and done, there was this common thread, this common beginning, middle, end that just kept coming back to that key point. So story idea number one is what's your through line and don't be afraid to hit it every 10 minutes. Tie everything back to that through line. The second type of story then is the exemplar story. This is where you get one kind of key narrative, key story, key idea that ties up a lot of the the facts, the ideas you've been playing around with. So for instance, the one I always use is, is whenever I'm teaching about the brain, there's a lot of parts to remember, a lot of interactions, and it's too hard. But I swing back with this story of a tribe in Africa who, because of their language, they can't see certain things. And embedded within this story is all the brain parts. To remember that story, you need to know, oh, it's because these two brain parts are clashing because this doesn't work with this. So that story is highly powerful, highly memorable. And now anytime people think about the story, they necessarily will access all those facts. So if I try and give them the facts without that story, they come, they go, they're gone in three days. But because I have that exemplar story, here's a group of people, a narrative that sums it all up, Now people will always remember that story and use that to tap into the facts. So we got that through line story, then we've got this kind of exemplar story, and we just need to know when we're dancing between the two. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna re-listen to this uh, show and think about that more deeply and dig back into your um, book, stop talking and start listening. The through line story I know I've done, and shout out I gotta give a shout out to Ben Jones, Forsyth County Public Schools. Listen. Thank you, Ben, for bringing me in to come talk to your leaders. But Jared, I think I did the through line. I was talking, I was telling you about balance. 
And uh, below balance is this thing called interference. And the way I played it up to hopefully connect with the leaders I, I was sharing um, this presentation with, I used a picture of pass interference with NFL, you know, American football. And it was uh, Sherman from the uh, Seahawks violating Julio Jones with pass interference, right? So that's in Atlanta town in Georgia. But the idea is that interference causes the lack of balance that we feel as leaders that shows up as the chaos in our life and leadership. And I kept bringing back this picture of Sherman and Julio Jones and this idea of interference. And I think if I'm understanding the through line story a bit by sort of anchoring what we were talking about with that image and that language, uh, was that a bit of using through line storytelling? Absolutely. That's part. And I think you just used a key word too there, which is anchoring, is that through line story serves as your anchor. And the Mm -hmm. fact that you kept coming back to it, Anyone who left your talk, I, I guarantee you a week later, we go back and talk and say, what do you guys remember? The first thing they'll do is they'll pull up that image and they'll say, mm-hmm. oh, that's the football image. And that's their doorway into all the rest of the information. What you've done is you've given them an easy stepping stone mm-hmm. back into accessing all the memories for the rest of the stuff they learned. So that was, that's a brilliant idea. And it's just because you kept coming back to it and kept anchoring to the same point. That's a through line story in a nutshell. You nailed it. Hey, Jared, keep using the word brilliant and I'll, I'll make sure that we'll, we'll post this uh, a million times out. So <laughs> yeah. uh, in other ways, you know, something else I, I picked from your book, um, the ideas, and you mentioned uh, synchrony a, a bit to the listeners, but also um, this idea of simulation. So yeah, I really like those and found them very interesting uh, in your book. And so how can we use simulation and synchrony to present more effectively? So simulation says that human beings will mimic, they will kind of run, if you think about like virtual reality, in their brain, they will act out any story they're listening to, if, especially if, if they're engaged with it. This is what makes Hollywood so good. We don't just watch Star Wars. As far as our brain is concerned, we're in Star Wars living it. it. That's yeah. why they become so memorable as well. It's not just, then there was a starship, then there was a Chewbacca, and then they had a sword fight. Oh boy, leader. listeners are going to get mad at that. Excuse me, a lightsaber fight. My bad. All but, good. <laughs> but what happens is, is because it's weaved into a narrative, now as I'm watching that, I'm, if you could take a picture of my brain, it would look as though I were in a lightsaber duel. So we tend to mimic stories we're hearing, but we really only do it when we're in the midst of a narrative. So this is another reason why finding the right story, the right beginning, middle, end, the right rising action, the right exemplar story will help me to actually live and embody the information you're trying to give me. So it's, it no, it's no longer just facts, it's me experiencing those facts. And as soon as I mentally simulate it, boom, it becomes a deeper memory. It becomes more important to me. So stories allow me to simulate as an audience member. And it also allows me to synchronize with the listener. So one of the most interesting things we found recently is when I'm involved in a really deep story, so you're sitting there telling me a tale, right? So maybe it's a story of your life. When I'm with you, if I could take a picture of your brain as the storyteller and my brain as the listener, they will look almost identical. What starts to happen is I start to sync up with you. And that's how you know, you know, you've given talks or presentations or had meetings where the room just feels good, where you know you've got the room. What's happening is it's a very literal thing is, yep, 
everyone's brain is firing very similar to yours in that moment, which means not only are they learning from you, but they're learning like you. They're thinking like you in that moment. So once you get this point of synchrony, and synchrony tends to happen when somebody is telling a story, when someone's telling a narrative. Once you hit that point of synchrony, congratulations. You've not just got the room, you've got them all on the same page, on the right page, and they're all thinking like you in that moment. And the, the back and forth becomes incredible. But again, synchrony and, and, and simulation tend to only really happen during narratives, during rising action, beginning, middle, end, emotional valence. So the more we can find those exemplar stories, the better chance we have of hitting these points with our audience, with our teachers, with our students. Jared, I'm loving this conversation on narratives and stories, and we're going to continue it in just a moment. But let's pause here for a message from our sponsor. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Imagine if you could give every teacher their own personal instructional coach. Well, now you can with TeachFX. Using the latest advances in artificial intelligence, TeachFX gives teachers private, personalized feedback on student engagement, all from the microphone of their phone, tablet, and laptop. Learn more and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BL. BS. All right, and we're back, Ruckus Makers, with Dr. Jared Cooney Horvath, and he is the author of Stop Talking, Start Listening, 12 Insights from Brain Science to Make Your Messages Stick. And we've been talking about brains. We've been talking about stories. And something I'm interested about, we've talked about how to tell better stories and some ways to enhance our storytelling. Uh, Jared, have you ever considered or, or you know, what are those obstacles that stop us from telling stories? Why do we go to stats and figures and logic instead of the emotions uh, in the stories? Totally. No, that's a wonderful question. It's the, I think there's a big social aspect to this where right now as a society, we've tended to elevate science above all else. There is this objective truth that science can get to and everything else is subjective and therefore doesn't count. And this is why schools are now so predicated on collect more data. What's your numbers? Give me more data. And unfortunately, that's, that's a movement that I think is, is somewhat wrong, somewhat dangerous. And I'm speaking now both as an educator and as a scientist. <laughs> this passion, this love with this belief in an objective truth or reality it's wrong. There's, it's not there. As a scientist, even when I'm collecting my data, I'm still being heavily biased. It's impossible not to be. So, but what happens is because that's kind of our cultural narrative right now, when people have to give up and give a presentation, they fear that any of their own stories, their own anecdotes will be seen as subjective and somehow wrong or lesser. And then they get this, this, um, imposter syndrome where, oh, I shouldn't be here. So what they try and do is they try and bolster it with just facts and research. And such and such said this. In 2019, this study said this, and here's some more numbers. The idea being that they then appear more objective. They appear as though they're giving you a deeper truth. 
when to be honest, nothing could be further from the truth. You could sit up there, give me an objective truth, and any scientist would say, yeah, that's just research. I could probably knock holes in it left and right. Whereas everyone else who doesn't care about research will be bored out of their wits. So you've lost both members of your audience. Whereas if instead you come back and recognize, no, people are here to listen to me. There's data out there, there's facts out there, fine, but they want to know how I interpret it, what my experiences are with it. They're here to understand my vision through these facts. And that's where now you got to say, cool, I've got facts. If you're interested, there's references after my presentation. I'll give you a list of papers to read, fine. But when we're here talking, let's talk. Here's my story. Here are stories of people I've worked with. Here are stories from the world. And believe it or not, it's, it might feel subjective, but that's how people learn. So it might, I don't know, they're strip the idea of truth, strip the idea of perfection out of your mind. That's what leads to us avoiding these things. And just try and connect with your audience. And then you tap more into these. Trust me, they'll learn more every time once you accept that. So interesting, because I never thought that uh, it would be, I'm trying to prove my credibility, right? Or this objectivity stance. And so that's why I use the logic and remove, uh, I guess, my subjective stories. But uh, it's very, that's an interesting point. Thank you um, for sharing that. Yeah, you start to see when you, when you see, sit down and actually kind of pull your attention back at most prezos, you'll see a lot of people are really keen on telling you where they got the information. And anytime I hear that, I'm just like, oh, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Tell me about you. I can go look that information up. I got Google. That's fine. Tell me about you. And I think that's once we get back to that, that's when things get good again. So you've been in Australia for a while. Is that where you picked up the term Prezos? Oh, yeah. That's... They shorten everything down here for the long Everything. Brecky. I love Brecky, man. It makes me want to eat it like 10 times a day because it just sounds so great. Give me some Brecky, do a Prezo. Yep. Sorry. That's yeah. my brother always calls me out on it. He's like, I don't even know half the words you're saying anymore. Right. So right. Prezo is presentation for those of you who, who are going, what the heck is he talking about? Yeah. No, it's all good. And you tell your brother, um, no worries, man. When you visit, I, I owe you a shout. So that's all good. He's like, I don't want to that's give you it. a shout. To no, find him. no wazes, mate. No wazes. <laughs> all right. We'll start. Stop being uh, weird about Australian slang. But to all the Aussie ruckus makers, I love you. You are the second biggest group outside of the USA that listens to the show. So I just want to say thanks. Is there a cool way to say thanks in Australian, Jared? Uh, they say ta. So T-A, just ta. Yeah. Ta, mates. Like, thank you so much. And uh, <laughs> shout out to Clayton, my favorite Australian in the world. Uh, and then Jared, you're number two. But Clayton gets number thanks. two. I'll take, I'll take number two. I'm, I'm kind of the expat, so I live in both worlds. Yeah, I'm seriously going to bring this back to the book, I promise. But talking about stories, now this, I'm sure, is helping the the ruckus maker feel closer to me and to Jared. But the reason Clayton is so important, he's the first ruckus maker, the first listener ever to reach out. And he sent me an email and just said, hey, mate, love your stuff, blah, blah, blah. I want to use it with my leadership team. Can I do it? And from there, we started uh, developing just a wonderful relationship, friendship, started working together. Uh, Clayton's in the mastermind, and now he's serving uh, principals in in his area. So he's moved uh, up in the school district, and it's just uh, amazing to see him grow. So that's all. Where's he at? Is he Clayton? Is he in Sydney, Melbourne, or where's he? Do you know? A suburb of, uh, yeah, Sydney. Oh, nice. Well, tell him to bother me. Shoot me a mail, and I'll come take him out for a beer next time I'm out there. Oh, he, he'll definitely uh, 
<laughs> let's just tell him here, Clayton, connect with Jared, this awesome guest, <laughs> and he's going to buy you a beer. So he owes you a shout. All right. Back to you, Jared, in uh, challenges with presenting. So we talked about logic and putting too many facts and figures, avoiding storytelling because of fear yeah. of, of being seen as uh, too subjective. And then, man, people get lazy and they really have no freaking idea how to use PowerPoint. So tell us about some common mistakes and what we can change for the love of God. What do we need to change with our slide decks? Poor PowerPoint. So a good rule of thumb, number one, prep everything before you open PowerPoint. Most people open PowerPoint to start prepping talks. And so it's just ideas. It's just idea stew. And then they never change their PowerPoints. So it's no, 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 no. You should be able to walk into any room and if the power fails, you know what? It sucks, but you can keep going because you're not beholden to your PowerPoint. I always say, do you remember Cliff Notes back in high school? Yeah, totally. So that's how, uh, that's how we all got through school. I never read a single book. I just read the Cliff's Notes. Okay. Interestingly, those things were built as scaffolds. The, the guy who made them never intended for them to replace the books. He just thought as you're reading the book, you can come here and tap into it. But of course, most kids, myself included, were like, well, sweet. There's so much good info in the Cliff's Notes. I don't need the book. Boom. This is what we do with our PowerPoint slides. We tend to put so much info into the slides that we essentially cliff notes ourselves out of existence. The listeners, the audience immediately goes, well, I only need your slides. I don't really need you there anymore. Print those out. I'll take them home. I'm done. So if you're putting so much info into your slides that people are using, I always say, if you finish a talk and somebody says, hey, can I have a copy of your slides? You've misused that tool. Your slides should be meaningless without you there because you are the crux of information. You're there to teach. Teach. Don't leave it to your slides to, to carry that burden. So rule one, do all your prep without slides. If you choose to use slides, a couple of cool rules of thumb. One, it's impossible for people to read while listening to somebody speak at the same time. So if you have words on your slide, anything more than we traditionally say around six or seven, bad news, your audience can't do both simultaneously. So they have to choose between listening to you or reading your slides. And 90% of them will choose the slides. So again, you've just made yourself totally obsolete. So avoid words on your slides. I know you've heard it before. Now we know neurologically why. It's impossible for them to do it. So what do we do instead of words? We use images. We use pictures, simple images, kind of like what you were talking about. Now we can anchor ideas to those images and use the images to cue memories in the future. So just like you were using that image of interference now, cool, I've got all these ideas tied to this really simple image. And every time you bring that image back, all these ideas will come flooding with it. And at the same time now, I'm not, I, I, I can look at images while listening to you speak at the same time. So I have no real clash, no neural clash going on. And I'm forming deeper, more accurate memories. So ditch the words, add images. And then a third tip that we tend to say too is think about spatial layout and predictability. So Chances are, think about your desk at work. You've never sat down to actually memorize how your desk is organized, but I guarantee you if you went in, sat down, and somebody moved your stapler or put your computer on the left side instead of the right side, you'd notice immediately. Don't move my stapler, Jared. No. Don't touch my stapler. Who moved my stapler? <laughs> so we don't memorize these things, yet we intuitively know them. 
So this is called contextual cueing. We implicitly learn spatial layouts without any effort on our part. And once those layouts change, we recognize it real quickly and our attention is focused. So now with PowerPoint, if I use a similar layout slide by slide by slide, I can assume my audience will intuitively learn that. No effort on their part, they'll just learn, cool, every slide has a picture here in this box, a line over here, whatever. Now, anytime I break that, I can force your attention. Mm. So if I use three, four, five slides that are all similar formatting, cool, everyone's happy, and then on the sixth slide, it all changes, love it or hate it, everyone in that room's attention goes, boom, right to my slide. Yeah. Which means if whatever I have on that slide, you're going to remember a little deeper. Mm. So if I use spatial consistency and then get to a key point in my talk, all I have to do is change the layout of my slide at that moment. And I guarantee you everyone in the room will be paying attention when I hit that key point. So think about how you're using space, how you're using predictability, and then how you can break that anytime you need to really drive attention. If there's a key point, break your predictability and everyone will be there with you. So it's kind of this fun way to use that tool that most people never think of. Jared, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Uh, The one key message has to do with teachers. What would be the right phrasing for it? Something along the lines of teachers are professionals (laughs) and nobody does the profession but teachers. So deal with them accordingly. That's the the one thing I, I... Schools are so focused on on students and parents and leaders, rightly as they should, that teaching as a profession seems to be seen as just kind of this thing. Yeah, if you can't do, you teach, fine. Mm -hmm. No, it's a real profession. Mm -hmm. So if we can get back to that idea that teachers are professionals, they're doing a job that nobody else can do as well as they can, how do we get them to own that again and recognize that as a society again? So is that a good message? Teachers are professionals? Absolutely, because uh, the way it looked for me, it's very popular to say kids first, right? I'm a kids first principal or whatever. And that is important. I mean, what we do is about the kids. But I'd say, no, I'm not a kids first principal. I'm a teacher's first principal. But not because I want to just give them what they want and appease them. But I need to see them first and take care of them first. Because if I do, they're going to take care of the kids way better than I can as one leader. So I think that is a great There are poor to call. Yeah, absolutely. And the last question here, everybody gets this. You're building a school from the ground up, Jared. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So how would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Uh, believe it or not, it would look very similar to a normal school. I, I, I carry this. My big idea in education is that we're 90 to 95% right already. Most of the debates we have in education are on that last five to ten percent. So there's not a huge. I don't. I don't think we've been doing it wrong for two thousand years. I think we've been pretty good at this stuff. So I, I think my first priority would be yep, professionalism of teachers, making sure that they own the school and they have agency to do what they need to do with the students. So teacher agency number one. I think a good coffee machine would be number two. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> number two, believe it or not, that's, I don't know, that's just important to me. And then number three would be kind of experiences and through lines. So how, how are grades aligning within grades and between grades? So I'm not sure exactly what that would look like, but it's how do I make sure that all year seven classes, whether it's math, science, social studies, whatever, 
all have one key theme that they're all tapping back into. So they're all teaching their own thing, but it all swings back to one similar question so that kids feel as though there's a through line to everything they're doing in that grade. So teachers first, good coffee, and then alignment within and between year levels. How would that look? Not 100% sure yet, but that's what I'm thinking about as a priority. Jared, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Let's end with a through line. Of all the things we've talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I would say it's you. It all circles back to you. Your stories, your narrative matter. And all this information has to come back through your filter. Own that. That's the only thing that's going to make it work outside of you. Don't try and look for answers or truth in here. It's your interpretation now of all of this. How do you see it? How are you going to use it? All comes back to you. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.